The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So Exodus chapter 20 is the original Pentecost. I don't know if you knew this or have ever heard this before, but uh, we've all heard. (laughs) If you haven't heard, we probably have seen on TV how many, how many know that Moses looks a lot like Charlton Heston? Can I hear an amen? <laughs> I wonder when they, you know, when Charlton Heston got to heaven and he looks and Moses is like, hey, you look familiar. I mean, they must look alike. But anyway, uh, the giving of the Ten Commandments happened on the first Pentecost. So that's where we're going to start tonight. Chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, beginning of verse 1. So I want to read the first two verses. And God spoke all these words saying, and and I want to just stop there for just a moment uh, for those who are taking notes. This is interesting to me because I didn't know it until fairly recently. We always hear the Ten Commandments, and they are commandments, but, and they are commands, and we are to obey them. Uh, But what it, at the root base of what it literally means in Hebrew, these are the Ten Words. Every one of the commandments was the word of God. And the word of God, the, what, what I, and the reason I want to emphasize that, the 10 words, is that when God opens his mouth and speaks, he is unlike anyone else in the universe or beyond whatever, or heaven or angels or all the rest of it. When God speaks, whatever he says becomes. God spoke all things into existence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, light be, and light was. It came out of the mouth when God said, light be, he created light. And what we know from science is, light came out of God's mouth at 183,000 plus miles per second. So we wanna honor the word of God. Can I hear an amen? So anyway, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I love this. So here's what I want to say. We have been going, for for those who have been on the journey with us, you know, let's go back to, uh, we had a Good Friday service here where we had communion, and we're remembering when Jesus was uh, crucified for us. And that happens in the first month. It's a very, very special month called Nisan. And so, so we, you know, there were the months of the year that the Hebrews were going to go through. So the first month of Nisan, where they sacrificed the lamb, God said, I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to take the life of the firstborn son of every family that unless you have the blood of a lamb that has, it's, it's spotless, it has no blemishes on it. And I want you to take that spotless, uh, you know, without any blemishes, lamb's blood, put it on your doorposts, on this post, on this post, and the lintel beam up here. So blood, 
blood, blood on the front door of your house. And on the night, I'm going to send the angel of the Lord out. And the angel of the Lord has been assigned by me that the life of every firstborn son, where there is no blood, that son will die. It will be a sacrifice. The firstborn is given to the Lord's. So God is claiming, and this was true not only in the house of Israel, by the way, it also happened for all of Egypt. Sadly, because Pharaoh had many gods that he believed in, the gods of Egypt, but he would not, he stubbornly would not believe in the God of the Hebrews. So he didn't have blood on his palace door. And guess what happened? Pharaoh lost his firstborn son. Now, what's also interesting is this was the 10th plague. You remember, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Well, there was a lot of Egyptians that every time Moses said, okay, this is going to happen, play, it happens. And then this is going to happen, number two. And this is going to happen, number three. And every, you know, so numbers five, number six, number seven, eight, nine times. Every time that Hebrew Jewish guy, Moses says, this is coming down, it happens. So guess what? When Moses got to number 10, he said, okay, this is the last one. This is the grand finale. And when this one's done, Pharaoh, your little battle with God is over. Dude, the original Hebrew does say dude. <laughs> You're going to be done. And guess what? The Bible tells us that by the 10th plague, all the Egyptians were saying, hey, what are the Jews saying about what's coming down and whatever they tell you to do, do. There were many Gentile Egyptians who started listening to the God of Moses, which is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they sacrificed a lamb and they put blood on the doorposts of their Egyptian houses and on the lentil beam. And the night that the angel of the Lord went out, guess what happened? Their firstborn son lived. There was a revival the following morning when their son was alive and neighbor didn't do it and they're gone. How many know there was a big Egyptian revival that happened? And God's about saving everybody. He goes, whoever listens to what I'm telling you and believes, I don't care. I'm gonna, it's going to happen. So the first month was about deliverance. And that's what happened. And then the second month was a month of transition through the wilderness. Now we're into the third month. And we're getting to Pentecost, which is the 50th day after they had the deliverance out of Egypt. And this third month is really about revelation. Since the great exodus from Egypt was intended to lead to, God said, I'm going to reveal myself. First, I'm going to deliver you with a mighty powerful hand. And nobody, not Egypt, not Pharaoh, not his armies, there's nothing they can do about it. I'm going to show you how powerful I am. But the whole point, what began by their deliverance, and then they had to go through a time of transition in the wilderness, but it was to end in the third month by the giving of the word of God on Mount Sinai. It's all about, so this was the goal. He delivered them so that it might bring them to the mountain and, and there he might come down in a new and different way. He was already with them all through the wilderness as a cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. He goes, but you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm telling you, the third month, seven weeks from now, when you go to the top of the mountain, I'm coming down and I'm gonna reveal. It's a revelation, my glory. And that's where God came down and gave the 10 words. Uh, God took the Jews out of Egypt so and 
the, the Bible says there, were, uh, there was a vast mixed multitude, meaning there were a lot of Egyptians that went as well, but he wanted to bring them out so that they would be his treasured people. They would be special people. I mean, this is the only generation that literally saw God all the way through the wilderness. There were no atheists. There wasn't even one in the tents of Israel. Because every morning you just go out and say, well, I don't believe there's a God. Well, there he is right there. There's a cloud, there's a pillar of fire. So there was no argument about you know, atheism or whatever. He said, you're gonna be my special treasured people, holy and separated, and I'm pulling you out of cultures that are evil and abusive and controlling and selfish and make you their slaves and servants and use you and abuse you. And a reality behind the human governments are, is demonic principalities. I am delivering you from evil and I will protect you and I will be your shepherd and I'll prove it to you. I'll take a whole two and a half million people through the desert. And I will provide your food, I'll provide your water, I'll provide shade during the day, I'll provide warmth during the night, I will bring water out of a rock, and I'll bring you into a land, I'm so excited, I can't wait to share with you, flowing with milk and honey, and then I'm gonna use you, I'm gonna bless you. Do you know why God wanted to bless Israel? Not just so they could have all the blessings. God had a plan. His purpose in really super blessing Israel was to create and provoke jealousy among all the other nations of the world to say, hey, our gods ain't doing what their God is doing for them. And God was like opening the door. Well, all are welcome and all that want to come and I'm willing to share with you all. That's why Israel is chosen. is not to be the only chosen, but they were chosen to provoke jealousy and, and therefore that others would want to come under the tent of God. That was God's plan from the beginning. So Nisan begins this uh, amazing, precious, holy month. Okay, so now we've gone from the Exodus, we've now traveled out through the wilderness, and now we're at Mount Sinai, and now we're getting ready. We're in the third month, in Hebrew it's called Sivan. It has been seven weeks since the Exodus, seven weeks. Weeks means seven times seven equals, remember, 49. Seven is a very, very holy month. And he wanted them to have seven weeks of seven days, 49 days. And on then the next day, which would be 50, which is what the word Pentecost means, okay? They were to count literally from their deliverance 50 on the 50th day, God said, I'm going to come down from heaven and reveal my presence and my glory in a way you have never known before. So Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 3, and I'm going to read just verses 3 through 21, because this is when God came down, and, and this is where he gave the Ten Commandments up on the top of the mountain. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. There were other gods, and there are still other gods and idols people worship today. But what God wanted to tell them was, any other god that you serve is using you and abusing you. They're not serving you. I'm the only one who loves you. Number one, I made you. I designed you. I created you, 
and I love you for all of eternity, and, and I want to use, and I'm unlimited in my power and in my, you know, presence and in my love, and I want to use everything I am to bless you for the rest of eternity. How many are good with that? Sound good to you? So you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make for yourself a carved image. Uh, uh, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall, shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And basically what that means is the sins of one generation become the sins of the next generation. If you go out to, you know, the great grandfather or whatever, he beat his kids all the time. And then you have the kid that grew up being beaten and then he just follows the pattern that he got from his dad. And then the grandkid, you know, keeps going. So the idea is if you don't break that chain, it's gonna have impact to the third, fourth generation. The beautiful thing about giving your heart to Christ is that no matter what your upbringing was, you, if you follow Christ, you get to be the chain breaker for your family and your generation. Can I hear an amen on that? We're the chain breakers. But anyway, uh, but he shows mercy to thousands, uh, to those who love me and keep my commandments, which again is, you know, it's not like some arbitrary, you gotta do this rules. I like the idea that they're the 10 words. Basically what, what this is, is a list of loving fatherly counsel, advice, and yes, it's a command in the sense that if you do this, you're gonna be walking in the lane of happiness and holiness. If you go outside of this, I'm not doing it arbitrarily or because I'm mean, uh, or I'm trying to rob you of something. I'm telling you, if you go outside my word, you're gonna crash and burn, and the enemy's gonna have access to you, and it's, you're gonna be miserable, and therefore, because I love you, I'm showing you walk in these ways, so we can walk together and be blessed. Verse seven, and you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So he's teaching respect I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but should we not respect the most powerful being in the universe who is God? And aren't we glad the most powerful being in the universe is actually good and loving and kind and deserves to be respected and honored? So that's how, how does God teach children to learn to honor the created in heaven? He says, to honor your father and mother, that's an earthly way of practicing what you now will reflect in your relationship with God. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, uh, you nor your son nor your daughter, uh, nor your male servant or female servant, nor your cattle, stranger who is within your gates. I think it's funny cows get a day off too, but anyway, in verse six, or verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. I mean, you know, modern science and medicine have told us if you just keep working all the time, it's not healthy. Mentally, emotionally, physically. So this is a, you know, thousands of year old pattern that God said, don't just work, 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 work. Take time off, relax, rest recover, refresh, renew. And by the way, hey, I'm your dad. I'd like to hang out with you for a day. Tell me about your week. 
What did you like about it? What was a surprise? What did you enjoy? Did you have some challenges? Could you use my help? Hey, let's talk about it. So it's a, it's a time to have fellowship with your father. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. By the way, the principle of honoring those above you, especially mom and dad, will bear fruit in you having a long life. If, you're, you know, if you don't forgive your parents and you're bitter and you don't honor them, I mean, literally, you're going to shorten your life. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, all the people witnessed... So here we're going to focus on what's happening above, on the top of the mountain. All the people witnessed thunderings, lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. It's kind of sad. God was inviting them into his glorious presence. What if we, you know, you could be told, hey, how'd you like to climb a mountain? And we get to the top of the mountain, there's going to be thunder and lightning and fire and a, and a thick, dark cloud. But if we go in the cloud, we get to see a manifestation of God. Would you be interested? So they were afraid and they go, ah, Moses, you go into the cloud. Tell us what he says when you come out. So verse 20, and Moses said to the people, do not fear. Don't be afraid for God has come to test you. And that his fear may be before you, that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So Moses ascended the mountain where God then commanded him to tell the leaders that if they would obey the Lord and if they would keep his covenant, the Ten Commandments, he would make them a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. The people responded, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then Moses returns to the mountain and he was told to command the people to sanctify themselves before the Lord. And so he descended upon the mountain. He said, the Lord is coming down. So here's what I want you to do. Don't do anything worldly for the next three days. Get ready because God's coming down to the mountain. So that's a pretty awesome thing. In three days, the creator, not only of the earth, but the creator of the universe and anything outside of the universe is coming down and he's here to speak to us. Pretty awesome. Does anybody, now we're in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, 3,500 years ago or whatever. Uh, is there any significance to us today about three days? And on the third day. What you realize when you go through the Bible is there are patterns that are not only in the New Testament, but whatever is manifest in the life of Jesus in the Gospels are patterns that go back thousands of years. God was setting them up like, hey, guys, hello, human beings. There's something special about the third day. And that's the day I'm coming down. That's the day you're going to see my power. That's the day my glory will explode. Jesus, the Son of God, rose from the dead in his glorious resurrection 
on the third day. So the people, they were to abstain, stay back. Exodus chapter 19, verse 11 says this. You read it out loud with me. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So on the Sabbath, on the sixth day of the third month in the Hebrew calendar of Sivan, it's called the month of Sivan, exactly seven weeks 49 days after the Exodus, now on the 50th day, God Almighty descended on the top of the mountain with thunder, with lightning, with billowing smoke, with fire. And out of all of that, there was the sound of a blowing of a trumpet called a shofar, which is actually the Hebrew word for a ram's horn, but a ram's horn can sound like a trumpet. So there's thunder, there's lightning, there's fire, there's billowing smoke, and there's this trumpet blowing, and it, the trumpet blowing gets louder and louder and louder. So in the midst of all that, God starts, he's communicating his 10 commandments by the second commandment. The people were so afraid and terrified, they ran away. <laughs> they got out, they just said, ah, they ran. The people stood afar off, but while Moses alone drew near, the thick darkness where God was. So when God gave that to Moses, Moses built an altar um, at the foot of Mount Sinai. So he comes down the mountain, he, he builds an altar and it has 12 pillars, one for each one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He offered sacrifice to the Lord. He took blood from the sacrifice. He threw half of the blood on the altar. And then he read to them, this is what God said, all that stuff that was happening on the mount, mountaintop. This is what he said. And Moses read to them the Ten Commandments. And after he did that, he took the other half of the blood and he sprinkled it toward all of the people. And then he said, behold, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these Ten Commandments or these Ten Words. Then an interesting thing happened. Moses and Aaron and the 70 elders of Israel eat a, or a covenant affirmation meal. So after that, it's like, wow, that's gotta be huge. Like, wow, there, there's these stone tablets and then uh, God wrote the, ten, the first 10 commandments with his finger and with fire. Wow, we have the word of God. And then the 70 elders are called by Moses and Aaron and they say, hey, uh, God wants to meet with us, and you 70, representing all of Israel, were to go up the mountain and have a meal with him to confirm the words that he just gave to us. So these 70 literally got to go with Moses back into the cloud with all the smoke, with all the fire, with all the thunder, with all the lightning and the blasting of the trumpet and the shofar. Now, what's interesting is in my messianic commentary about this passage, which means Jews who are believers in Jesus. That's what a messianic uh, believer is. They're messianic because they're Jewish but by birth, but they also believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And in my messianic commentary of this passage, they mention that their Hebrew background and upbringing is that according to a Jewish midrash teaching, the 10 commandments, the tablets of stone were made of blue sapphire. That it was not, you know, just some limestone, sandstone type of a deal, 
that God wrote it on this, uh, these tablets of beautiful blue sapphire as a symbol of God's throne and written by the finger of God. And supposedly when God's finger wrote, it was, it was like fire that went into the uh, sapphire stone tablets and bored through the sapphire so that it left an opening, God's word, and it was like fire, but it bore, so you could see through on either side of the 10 commandments and read it, and it was made of that amazingly beautiful uh, you know, precious stone. Then later when they're up there having the meal, all the 70 elders, they looked up and above them they saw what was like the floor of the throne of God. So they're looking up, but they could look through the floor. It was like transparent sapphire. The Bible actually does say the floor that was above them. They were looking up into the presence of God through what looked like blue, divine, uh, heavenly, supernatural, the floor above which was the throne of Almighty God. Man, how many would like to have a meal like that? And so it's very powerful, very beautiful. And, and so blue, which was also a color that was to be worn by the high priest, there's something about heaven and the color of sapphire, which, and, and not the stones that are so dark, but a sapphire that is so pure, you could see that it reflects light. Can you imagine? In another place, one of the prophets says that the throne upon which sat the Lord looked like a throne made of sapphire. So it's very interesting, just beautiful. Now here, I wanna kind of uh, wrap up. This whole description, so God has come down and his power and his glory are made available. And, and what I wanna close with is, is an analogy. So, okay, so I get it, wow. The glory of God came down and he gave his words. We should honor them, we should follow them. As I mentioned, if you, the 10 commandments are not 10 rules. They are 10 words of life. And when you love the word and you follow the advice of your heavenly father, you are choosing to walk in the, the best life you could possibly have. In other words, if you walk in the lane of these 10 words, you, you will be at the extreme amount of joy you could ever find in your life. Extreme, pure, perfect peace. Who doesn't want that? Perfect love, divine love, heavenly love, supernatural love. Walk in these lanes and these will be like borders that will protect you from the evil and the darkness and the demonic and the use, you know, the, 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 the gods of use you, abuse you. You'll walk in my favor and my light and my glory. So this is what the Lord was giving to them. But there was an, there's one last picture. Pentecost is a picture of God's marriage to his people. Did you know that the Jewish people and our Jewish Messianic brothers and sisters, they tell us, you know, when we read the story of the Exodus and God came down and he gave the 10 commandments, that is to us a story of God. That's when God married Israel, was on Pentecost. And when he gave them the 10 words, if you know any Jewish people, I don't know if you know Jewish people and when they get married and if they're kind of a little bit religious, a Jewish couple will have something called a ketubah. A ketubah, everybody say ketubah. That's a funny word. That's a, now you're speaking Hebrew. 
A ketubah is a mutual contract that the Jewish bridegroom and bride say, this is how I'm going to love you, this is how I'm going to honor you, and then they put it into it. It's a contract. It's very, very special, and it's very, very precious, and it's like, I mean, they, they will, you know, they honor them, they, they put them in special places, and they look back to it, and they remember it as they grow in love. So the Jewish people say, the day, so God was our lover, he was single at the time, and he wooed us out of our old master's abuse, delivered us from the tyrant, brought us into his presence, revealed his love for us, took us to the top of the mountain, and then he made a contract, he made a ketubah. So they consider the 10 words or the 10 commandments are the ketubah that on this day, Pentecost, with Moses and Aaron and the 70 elders, we were married to God. We became God's bride. Now here's what's also interesting. Did you know that every year at this time, the Jewish people, but that means within that, our Jewish messianic, believing in Jesus, brothers and sisters, there's something that all Jewish people do every year at Pentecost. There's one book of the Old Testament they always read at this time of the year. Do you know what that is? The book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a love story, and it's a love story about this poor girl whose name is Ruth, which means friend, and then her husband, who is Jewish. Now, she is a Gentile. She is a Moabite. Her people are under a curse from the Old Testament for 10 generations. She's a cursed people. She's locked into the, you know, the devil's deal as a Moabite. And then she marries a Jewish man who's, wow, she's beautiful, I love her. And so she, as she marries the Jewish guy, she falls in love with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she converts to becoming a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then her husband dies. And it's the story of how her, she takes her mother-in-law and they go back to Israel. And that now the mother-in-law lost her husband and she's a widow and she's poor and she has to send her daughter-in-law out, just go glean in the fields because God had a law for the poor people. He goes, if you're a farmer, however much land you have, you do, do your you know, harvesting in a circle. Leave the corners. Do not harvest the corners. And it was God's thousands of years ago welfare program. If you were abandoned, if you were alone, if you were a widow, if you got kicked out of your family or tribe or whatever else, and you're gonna die, and you have no one, no family to take care of you, and you were in the land of Israel, you knew, I can go to the corner of any field, and I have permission from God to take whatever I need to eat, to live and to survive. So widow Naomi tells her daughter, her Moabite daughter-in-law has become Jewish, Ruth, go out, go to this, you know, and glean. Get every corner you can get. So she comes back, but then she meets a man named Boaz who happens to be the, the richest, uh, wealthiest bachelor Jew in that part of the world. And he sees this really cute girl that you're not from around here. Where'd you come from? Oh, that's Ruth who is the new daughter-in-law of Naomi, a Jewish family we all know, 
But both their husbands died, and she's out here gleaning because they have no husbands, they have no survival, and they're in the corners with all the other poor. And Boaz says, man, that, that girl's cute. That's also in the original Hebrew. <laughs> he tells his workers, hey, go drop extra stuff in her corner wherever she is. I want her loaded up. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you the whole thing, but it's a love story about how Ruth ends up saying thank you, and then, you know, she, her mother-in-law engineers Ruth getting together with Boaz, good Jewish mother-in-law, so <laughs> sets up the marriage, and they end up getting married, and it's a love story about an outside girl that's get brought in and gets blessed and they read that story every year at Pentecost. Why? Because the book of Ruth actually happened during harvest time, during Pentecost. The story of Ruth happened at Pentecost, which is how, why the Jews are always saying this was God's love story to deliver us from our old bad boyfriend, and then he became this loving, protective, new husband, and we read the book of Ruth because that reminds us of what he is doing, and there's even more to that story. So I encourage you, if you've never read the book of Ruth, it's only four chapters, and it's a love story, and it's really a mirror of the love story of what happened with Israel and with Almighty God. Now let me just close by saying this, what happened on Mount Sinai was a type and shadow of a new wedding, a new wedding day, and the New Testament Pentecost. And on that day that God said, I've come again, and now I'm making a new covenant with a new bride made up of my Jewish people, but also made up of Gentiles from all over the world, from any nation, any language, any kindred, and any tribe, and whosoever will call on the name of the Lord, I will marry them and love them and bless them. And here's my ketubah. It's called the new covenant, where now he says, I'm not going to write with my fiery finger on tablets of stone, but by my spirit, I'm going to write my character, my name, my righteousness, and I'm going to write my royal name in the fleshly tablets of your heart. So did you know this, starting at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, I wanna just, I wanna look at Eve. Did you realize God created the whole earth, all the trees, all the animals, all the mountains and flowers and, you know, he created everything. And the last thing God created was Eve. Because literally, even Adam was created, but he wasn't the last thing created. The last thing God created was Eve, because Eve is the first bride. And basically, everything on planet Earth, including Adam, was made for Eve. And guess what? They had a, the perfect, most beautiful garden wedding that anyone has ever, ever had. And when God made Eve, he brought her to Adam and Adam's mind was blown because it was the girl of his dreams. And he presented, I mean, cause you know, he kept looking for the animals for a mate. He said, eh, not so much. 
Big yes, fast yes. But then he made Eve. And Eve was in his wildest dreams the answer. And so literally they were created on the sixth day. So, you know, she's the last thing that's created. Everything was created really for her, including Adam in a sense, for them to enjoy one another. So guess what then their first day was? Sunday, Sabbath, which is basically the beginning of their honeymoon, where that's what it was supposed to be. Adam and Eve with a garden wedding, spending time with God, on a honeymoon where God's gonna share his love and his grace and his glory and spoil these two for the rest of eternity. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.